You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, 10 o'clock, and you may be seated. It's December 17th, which means just eight more days to Christmas, eight more days to find your pastor a Christmas present. Like, why does December always go by so, so fast? Uh, We're in the middle of a series called Christmas Past. We're seeing some foreshadows and prophecies of the coming Christ in the Old Testament. So today we're going to see the greatest ribbon cutting ever, in the Bible at least, is the opening and dedication of Solomon's temple. So if you're a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me please to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. I'll give you a few moments to get there. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles is the 14th book in the Old Testament, if that helps at all. you got the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Then you got First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. That's where we're headed. So Second Chronicles, if you're kind of flipping through, it goes First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Ezra. It's actually Ezra who's going to write Second Chronicles. And we're going to go to chapter 6. So Second Chronicles chapter 6. Let's get there uh, together, if you don't mind. Once we read this passage, go ahead and keep your Bible open. We're going to be jumping around to a few things in 2 Chronicles together. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Hope you have your copy of God's Word. You can certainly share with someone that's next to you. Go to your smartphone. It will always be on the screen um, in front of you and behind me. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. This is the the dedication of of the temple, Solomon's temple that has been opened. Beginning in verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and he spread out his hands. Let me just call a quick time out. That is a posture of, of prayer, a spreading out of, of hands. Uh, I know, in fact, Delilah just said, I know sometimes like, I don't, do I need to lift my hands in worship? Why do some people lift their hands in worship? Well, that, that is a posture of prayer. It's a posture of speaking to the Lord. And it's not just Old Testament. The New Testament, Paul says, I encourage holy men everywhere to lift up their holy hands in, in prayer. And so this is a posture of, of, of prayer. And so we see that the king, Solomon, he spread out his hands. Verse 13, Solomon had made a bronze platform. It was five cubits long and five cubits wide and three cubits high. And he had set it in the court and he stood on it. Then, verse 13, we see another posture of prayer. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and he spread out his hands toward heaven. So his hands are, are, are still lifted but he goes down on his knees on this platform that he has built and all of Israel is in front of him. This is the, the humble posture now of a king. He is kneeling before the Lord. I know we, we talk a lot about kneeling here at, at, at Highland. We have a kneeling altars here at the front. We encourage you to come and kneel before the Lord. We encourage you to lift, lift your hands in praise. Lift your hands in prayer. This is what's happening um, here with, with Solomon. Verse 14, and he said, so here's his prayer to the Lord. O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all of their heart, who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law, as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? 
Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, O, o Yahweh my Elohim, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Don't close your Bible. Solomon's temple was a spectacular building. It took seven years to build. The Bible records for us it took 70,000 workers to build it. In addition to that, 80,000 workers were in the quarry where they would hew the stone and bring the stone back. The Bible records for us there's 3,600 overseers of this project. That's way too many chefs in the kitchen, but 3,600 people were the general contractors on this. And again, it took seven years for them, them to make it. And as the project was coming to life, as it were, you could begin to see that no expenses at all were spared. The interior of, of this temple was overlaid with, with gold. There were precious stones all throughout it. The holy of holy structure inside in the back of, of the temple actually was overlaid with 45,000 pounds of gold. If your Bible's still open, you can go back one page and look there in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. They have now brought the Ark of the Covenant in from the city of David. So there in the Ark of the Covenant were the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. They took it from the city of David. Now the city of David is on, on the slope, on the southern slope of Jerusalem. In fact, it was just excavated 15 years ago. You can now walk through this city of David. And the Ark was placed in the back of that temple in the Holy of Holies. And God had pledged with his people to, to meet them there. And the singers came, like it was a great festival. The singers came 150 people who played the trumpet, the, the guitars and drums showed up. Well, it's called the lyres and the cymbals, but the guitars and drums showed up. And the people sang out. It was an incredible time of worship, incredible time of, of joy. In fact, you see in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13, actually the song that they sang. Here's the song. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I geeked out this week and helped you to see a picture of, of the temple. Here, here's a rendering of, of the temple. I'm gonna show you a couple of things on here. In fact, I didn't just geek out, I double geeked out. I even brought my laser pointer with me as well. So let me point out a few things here for you, if you don't mind. This right here is called the Bronze Sea for the nerds on this side. It's right here, there you go. It's the Bronze Sea. Uh, it was a basin that held 12,000 gallons of, of water. Uh, with that, they, they would, they would, the priests would clean themselves. So they would use that water to, to wipe away the, uh, the remnants of, of the sacrifice that was made. Uh, then in that next corner, you see there that the bronze altar. So there you go, a little green laser pointer. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, this was an amazing uh, piece. It was, it was 30 feet wide and 15 feet tall. Uh, it was there that they would bring the sacrifice. So anytime you will read in the Old Testament about a sacrifice being brought to the temple, the, the sheep, the goats, the, the doves, the heifers, this is where that they, they, would be, they would be sacrificed. And of course, you see on the, there's a little in cut there on, on the temple. You see the, the gold, you see back, you see the Ark of the Covenant there between the wings of the cherubim. You see the, the poles that are coming out of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it was an amazing structure. Now, now the vestibule, to kind of give you a little picture of how, how big this is, the the vestibule is this top part right here, 
make sure I don't leave anybody out, top part right there. The vestibule uh, was 180 feet, so the, the size of an 18-story building. To put that in perspective, the Alico building here in Waco has 22 stories to it. So it was a massive opening, a massive vestibule to, um, to Solomon's temple. In, in today's estimation, or in today's currencies, this temple would have cost $194 billion because of all the gold. Compare that to the Cowboy Stadium, which was $1.2 billion. It was an amazing, amazing structure. Again, it took them seven entire years to, to build this. There's gold, there's precious stones everywhere. And we saw back in verse 12 and verse 13 of our passage in chapter six, that Solomon then built a, a bronze platform that was seven and a half feet wide and four and a half feet tall. So I built that for you this week as well. There's my little uh, uh, word art box that I put in there and my little clip art Solomon, except I think I made him about nine feet tall. There. I'm not sure Solomon was actually that tall, but this is where he stood. The Bible says he stood there in the court, and I believe it was somewhere in this area because it will say later on in chapter 7 that when the fire came down to burn up the, the offering that was there on that bronze altar that you see kind of on the right-hand side, that all of the people of Israel saw it. And so this was probably somewhere in the court, somewhere there, he stood up and he lifted his hands, then he knelt down on that bronze platform, and, and he, he made this plea to the Lord. And again, God had promised, I will meet you there. I will meet you there in that temple. God has always promised to, to come down and, and to meet his people. God would come down and, and meet with Moses there on Mount Sinai. God would come down and meet with his people at, um, at, at, the, at the tent of meeting. God would come down and meet with his people in the tabernacle. Now God is going to come down, so they hope that God would come down and meet with his people in, in the temple. So the request is from Solomon, God, come meet with your people here in this temple. In fact, if, if your Bible's still open, we didn't read this earlier, but look at chapter six and look at, look at verse two. You can take it off the temple now. There you go, everybody's watching that instead of me. Chapter six, verse two, uh, it, it says here, uh, again, we didn't read this earlier, but, but you may, would you come and would you dwell here forever? God, would, would you come and meet with your people here in this temple? And don't miss this, we didn't read it, but chapter six, verse two, God, would you come and live here? God, would you come and dwell here in this temple forever. For you note takers, you can write this down. The longing of God seeking humanity has always been, God, come down and dwell with us. That has always been the cry of humanity. Those who wanted to know God, those who longed after God, those who had a faith in God, those who could look around and see the evidences of, of God and his strength and his power and his creativity and creation itself. There's always been a longing. There's even a longing in our hearts today. God, would you just come down? Would you be with us? Would you dwell with us? And so you see, Christmas is the fulfillment of mankind's desiring. We've always wanted to know our creator. We, we've always wanted to be near deity. We've always wanted to be near the one who loves us the most and who made us. We have long desired for, for God to come and, and dwell with us. God, be our Emmanuel. God with us. And this was the desire of, of Solomon, which is why we see in verse 13, he went to his knees to earnestly pray. Now just again, get this picture in your mind. This, this is the most powerful man in the land. This is the wisest man ever. This is the richest man. And, and this man, this king, is down on his knees before the Lord, pleading with the Lord, would you come please dwell with your people? Then in verse 14, he actually calls upon the covenant faithfulness of God. 
God, based on your covenant toward us, God, based on your faithful attributes, based on your character of faithfulness, will you come and will you dwell with us? And God's glory did come down. Uh, we're in Second Chronicles chapter six. Go one page over to Second Chronicles chapter seven. Pick it up here in verse one. This is after a very long prayer. All of chapter six is kind of a prayer. Beginning of, of chapter seven. Verse one, Second Chronicles, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed that burnt offering. Remember we saw that the bronze um, altar, the, the offering plate, the, the, the came down and burnt the offering and the sacrifices. Look at this. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw that fire coming down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down. Here's another posture of, of prayer, a posture of the presence of God. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying a familiar song, no problems in repeating words and songs, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The glory of the Lord descended and the people sang and they fell down and they worshiped God, their faces to the pavement. Highland, listen, God came down, but it was not going to be a permanent dwelling. Solomon asks something interesting and the way that it's worded here in this passage is almost like he asks himself a question in the middle of the prayer. Look at the question. With your Bible still open, look at verse 18 after, out of chapter six. So chapter six, the beginning of verse 18. Look, look what Solomon says. It's, it's odd because he's talking to the Lord, but it's almost like he makes a parenthetical statement of he's talking about the Lord. Verse 18, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Question. Solomon may be second-guessing his prayer at this point. Maybe he is starting to wonder if God will only periodically come down and visit his people and then return back to the heavens. Maybe he's gonna come but not actually dwell with his people or be near us. He may be thinking we just spent $194 billion to have God move fully into this temple, but will he? And how then permanently? He won't for at least another 960 years. But you see, here's the beautiful news of Christmas. God has come to dwell with man. God has come to us in Christ Jesus, his only son. God came and, and he lived with us. He, he, he gets us, he put on flesh. Our king has come to us. As Spurgeon said, the, the infinite has become an infant. God moved fully to us as Christ was fully God. We don't have time to turn there, but look on the screen behind me. The gospel writer John in John chapter one, look at verses one and two, then we'll jump down to verse 14. In John chapter one, verses one through two, the gospel writer says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This reminds you of Genesis chapter one, doesn't it? This is probably the effect that John was going after here as he writes under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. The first three words of Genesis in the beginning, the first three words of John in the beginning. So this is before time. 
So, so the word you may see there is, is capitalized. It should be in, in your Bible, it is in most translations. The word is a person. The word is an expression of God. The, the, the word is the work of God in, in action. It is God's power in action, if you will. You can see here in verse one that the word was God, but also see in verse one and in verse two, the word was with God. So face to face or shoulder to shoulder. So the word was God, but uniquely distinct, co-eternal, and co-equal with God. Now, who is this? This has to be Jesus. In fact, it's confirmed in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this word, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, put on flesh and came and dwelt among us, you, I'm cer- certainly have heard this before. The, the word dwelt there, skaneo, is, is the word for tabernacle. Jesus came and he tabernacled with us. Jesus came and, and, and he set up life with us. He, he tabernacled with us. What Solomon wanted God to do in a huge, beautiful structure, God did instead in a tiny, beautiful baby. This is so remarkable. Are you awake out there today? This is monumental. I'm like a writer of fiction could not come up with this. Well, what was it that Mark Twain said that, that, that good fiction has to be believable, but great nonfiction has to almost be unbelievable? That's this, this story right here. I mean, a fictional writer could not have come up with something so incredible. J.I. Packer, who, who wrote my favorite book of all time, Knowing God, said, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation that God put on flesh. This is a staggering story. That the God of eternity appeared in the person of his son to live in his own creation without ceasing to be God. He who fashioned the, the cosmos became a speck in his own cosmos. So if you truly consider Christmas, it's, it's gonna blow your mind. I, I'm, I'm hoping you're with me today. This makes Santa look so small. This makes a, a red-nosed reindeer look so insignificant. There, there's a second interesting part of Solomon's mid-prayer contemplation, though it's the rest of verse 18. So with your Bible open, open 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18. Solomon's probably beginning now to reflect on the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the uncontainability of God, if that's even a word. And he almost seems to ask God a loaded question in the middle of this prayer. Here it is, pick it up again in verse 18, the second part of 18. Behold... Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house pointing to this beautiful $194 billion temple that I have built. Ironically, Solomon, who according to 1 Kings chapter four was the wisest one who has ever lived was perplexed by this. Even earlier before the dedication, he begins to wrestle with this thought. How, how can the God of heaven and earth and the God of the highest heaven be contained in a house? You're in 2 Chronicles chapter six. Go back about three pages and look at 2 Chronicles chapter two. It's not on the screen, I don't think, but it is in your Bible. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter two and jump down to verse five. This is in the preparation mode of of the temple. So this is before the dedication day. This is before they get out the big scissors and the mayor comes and cuts the ribbon. He's really kind of thinking through this whole thing. And look what it says in chapter two, verse five. This is Solomon speaking. The house that I am to build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build him a house since heaven, heaven itself, heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him. Who am I to build a house for him? 
except only as a place to make offerings before him. So Solomon is already perplexed. The, the wisest man is questioning, how can there be a house that actually holds the full glory of God? Solomon is saying here, if heaven cannot contain you, even the highest of heaven, which means just the, 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 the great uh, expanse of the universe. He says this twice in chapter two and again in chapter six that we already read. Even the highest of heavens cannot contain you. I'm not sure that this temple, even after seven years of building it and sparing no expense whatsoever, is going to contain you. Who can build a house for God? And at this moment, Solomon becomes aware, I think, that God is uncontainable. And he's right. You see, really, all throughout the Old and the New Testament, God's plan for his glory was never meant for a place, but for a person. The fullness of God's glory was never meant to be in a house, a, a, a place, a geographical location. It's always been meant for a person. So note takers see what the highest of heavens could not contain, Christ did. The highest of heaven could not contain the glory of God, and yet Christ contains the glory of God. In Christ, there's a fullness of God. In that Bethlehem baby boy, all the full glory of God and the full power of God would reside. God could not be contained in a temple, but he allows himself to be contained in an infant. Amazing. God cannot be contained in the superabundance of space, the highest of heaven, yet he permits himself to be contained in a baby that is going to be laid down in a feeding trough. In Christ is the fullness of God. Again, for sake of time, we don't have to turn there, but Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and he said much the same. Look at the screen in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. This is one of my favorite Christmas verses, by the way. For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself, God, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his, Jesus's cross. So just, just let, let that stay up there for, for a few moments. Let, let, let this be absorbed by us today. See, the full character and nature of God was pleased, here's that word again, to dwell in Jesus. But let me get really theological on you for a second. So if you don't like this, just 15 seconds this is all I need right here. Jesus is not the outline of God. He is all God. Jesus is the fullness of God. It would be theologically incorrect for me to say today that Jesus was in part God. No, he is God. He is fully God. That the universe could not contain God, but a tiny baby boy did? Jesus became, oh, stay with me here. This, we're gonna connect Christmas and a dedication service of, of, of the temple. Jesus became, if you will, the temple that Solomon could only hope for, now Christ has become. Because now the fullness of God is gonna dwell in Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So Jesus became, if you will, the temple that Solomon hoped for it to be. In Christ, the full glory of God would reside. The temple represented in all throughout the Old Testament, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the, the, the temple, it represented the presence of God on earth. Now Jesus is the presence of God on earth fully. This is why 
It's gonna all make sense to you now. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, something greater than the temple is here. And he was speaking of himself. Remember, uh, there, people were ooing and on. This was a different temple. This is the Herodian temple, the Herod temple, uh, the Herod built, King Herod built. Remember, they were, they were talking about the, 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 how beautiful it was and, and almost indestructible. And Jesus said, oh no, that, that, if that thing is torn down, it, it'll come back in, in three days. And they're like, wait a minute, three days? It took, it took maybe seven to 10 years for Herod to build it again. You're saying that that can come back. Jesus was referring to himself as being the temple, the place where God resided. Something greater, Jesus said, than the temple is here. He was speaking of himself. Jesus was the presence of God fully on earth. Now go back to our, our passage. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter six. Look, look how Solomon wraps up this prayer. And in this prayer, there's some great things that we can see for, for this Christ who has come. 2 Chronicles chapter six. Uh, let's pick it up in, in verse 19. Um, Nay, let's go back to 18. So 2 Chronicles 6, look at verse 18. We need to ask that question again. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes, God, may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear us, forgive that prayer finds its completion in Christ. Because in Christ, note takers, I want you to see what we've gained in the coming of Christ at Christmas. For that little baby born in Bethlehem would grow up and live a perfect life. He would abide by the law completely, tempted in every way, yet without sin. And then he would go to a cross and he would die as a sacrifice in our place for our sins, for our rebellion. So this was the prayer of Solomon, but these prayers are completed in Christ. So quickly, three things, and I'll be done. In Christ, God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers as we pray through Jesus. You see, now Jesus is our great high priest who goes to the Father on our behalf. In verse 19 of 2 Chronicles chapter six, Solomon was having to plead before the Lord. In fact, that word plead is used there a couple of times, but now in Christ, it is Jesus who makes the plea on our behalf before the Father. So Christian, this is good news for all here today who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, God does hear our, our prayers. We don't do the pleading, Jesus pleads on our behalf. And here's Solomon, he's, he's pleading time and time again. Thirdly, excuse me, secondly, in Christ, God's eyes are set upon us. God sees us because his eyes are set upon his son, Jesus. Solomon was pleading, again in verse 20, for God to keep his eyes. God, would you just, day and night, would you keep your eyes upon this place? But scripture tells us in Psalm chapter 34 that God's eyes are always set on the righteous. Who are we in Christ? We are the righteousness of God. If there's nothing else you've remembered from 2023 from this pulpit, I hope you remember this. Upon the day of our salvation, we gave our sin to Jesus and Jesus gave us his righteousness. Therefore, his eyes are set upon us day 
and night. This is the great gift that Christ has given to us, his righteousness. So in Christ, God does hear our prayers. And in Christ, God's eyes are set upon us. Thirdly, lastly, in Christ, God has forgiven us. Solomon spends a lot of time in this prayer. In fact, there's a lot of prayers in First and Second Chronicles where people were pleading for forgiveness. Solomon asked here in verse 21 for God to hear and, and kind of the message underneath that is, God, you're in the far places, you're in the far heavens, that's your dwelling place. And if by chance you ever hear this prayer, would you please forgive us? But here's the good news, in Christ, we do have forgiveness. When Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he would say in Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the, the riches of the grace of God. So you see, Christ has, has come. Here's the great story for all of us here today. It was a question mark in 2 Chronicles chapter six, would God ever come and dwell with man? But in the gospels, it's now an exclamation point. Yes, God has come to dwell with man. God has come to be with us. Christ has come, our King has come. Emmanuel, God is with us. And we will never be the same. Because yes, God will indeed dwell with man. What the highest of heavens could not contain, Jesus Christ did and does. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. How would you stand with me please for us to pray together? We praise you, Father, for the sending of the Son. We praise that as believers in Christ, we have the full presence of God and the Holy Spirit with us and in us. God, thank you that that question that Solomon asked in the middle of his prayer, will God ever come and dwell with man, is now a perfect statement for those who believe, yes, God has come to dwell with man. He put on flesh without ceasing to be God. Jesus, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. Put on flesh, he tabernacled with us. He dwelt among people flesh he knows us he knows our temptations and now he has ascended to be seated at the right hand of the father and now makes pleas for us perfect pleas righteous prayers on behalf of the sons and daughters of God today we worship in awe Emmanuel, our God has come. Our God is with us. Joy to the world, of course, but great joy to our hearts today. In Christ, this one who has come for us, we pray. Amen. We're gonna sing a song together to remind ourselves of, 
of this Christ who has come, this King who has come. And as always, you're welcome to come and, and kneel here at the front. Maybe you can just be like Solomon and just kneel and lift your hands to the Lord and thank him for his grace, for his righteousness, for the gift. You can thank Jesus that he was the very first missionary sent from heaven to us to explain the Father, the Father's will, the Father's way to us. We have some staff members here at the front. We'd love to pray with you as well. Maybe today someone would want to give their lives to this Jesus, to confess him as Lord, to confess him as King, to confess him as Savior. Maybe someone would want to walk right past the, the staff here at the front and, and kneel and pray for, for a family member who's not saved. Maybe you have a mom or dad that doesn't believe on the Lord, a brother or sister, maybe a son, a daughter. You'd want to come and pray for them, to pray for their salvation, to pray for the courage to share the story of salvation with them. Let's sing together. And won't you please come?